Well, guys, how are you tonight? Good? Well, happy Halloween. Um, who dressed up tonight? I see a gorilla. John White, would you stand up? Brett, stand up. I know there's a, a banana wandering around. Connie, go ahead, stand up. We put out on our Facebook, whoever had the best costume tonight was going to get a gift card from Chipotle, and so we need to do a vote. Who thinks that John White in the gorilla suit wins that costume? Give him a hand if you think he wins. All right, who thinks it goes to Brett? All right, that was decent, but not really full. But you're still going to get something. So here, John White, come up and get your gift card. <clears throat> there you go. That's for you. Come here, Brett. We've got, for Brett, caramel apple Jones soda, because it's very full. Candy corn that tastes like Starburst, because candy corn by itself is disgusting. <clears throat> and pumpkin spice cookies, because all white girls like pumpkin spice. So there you go, Brett. <laughs> Give him a hand for dressing up. Well, guys, I just want to preface this service with uh, the fact that if I squeak like a uh, preteen boy who's going through puberty, it's because I'm having some throat issues, but um, don't worry, I'm on drugs. So also, I need to preface that with if I say something off color, it's the drug's fault. Um, tonight, guys, we're doing a special Thrive that's kind of Halloween-inspired. Um, <clears throat> I hate scary movies. How many people in here actually like scary movies? Raise your hand. Wow, almost everybody. That's awesome. You guys are awesome. I hate them. I'm like one of those people that sleeps with the light on after watching Scooby-Doo. I hate scary stuff. Um, but I find myself sitting with my family watching TV when like the most gory, disgusting, uh, demon, monster-like movies comes on the screen and immediately my little sister's like, oh, I want to see that. And my mom's just looking at her like, it's rated R, good joke. And uh, she's just like all excited and she's one of those people that's like all talk. Like, she talks about how she wants to see it, but let's just say I'm not the only Kennedy who likes to sleep with the lights on, okay? Um, but I think there's part of us that, that are intrigued by this blood, that are intrigued by the, the idea of horror and blood being spilt. I was doing some research for tonight, and on average, the average horror movie uses 1,200 gallons of fake blood. 1,200 gallons. I thought that was absolutely insane. Uh, but there's something about the spilling of blood that it's like a train wreck. Like, you just can't help but look. You cover your eyes, and you can say, like, oh, that makes me want to throw up. But something about it is intriguing. I think the reason for that is a lot of times in our life, our lives get pretty bloody. Um, our lives get, get pretty bloody. And so that brings me to the first creature that I want to talk about tonight, and that is a vampire. Now, all of us are either surrounded by vampires, or we ourselves are the vampire. Vampires are, are creatures that just suck the life out of everything. In the Bible, blood represents life. Um, and I think that there's people in this world who just suck the life out of you. Everybody knows who I'm talking about. Uh, maybe you guys came to church tonight and you saw one of those people, and immediately you pulled one of these. Oh, uh, I need to get something over here. Or you pulled the phone method. This is my method that I typically use. I see somebody and I'm like, oh, hi, yeah, and I just wander off into the distance. Um, the, the people that when you see them at the grocery store, you just turn around and duck your head because you know that if you give them five minutes, they're going to take 25 minutes. And they're going to tell you about their Aunt Sally and their Uncle Joe and their cousin who's suffering from terminal bunion disease. And, and they're going to tell you all this stuff about how their life is miserable and awful when it's always the same story. Woe is me, wah, wah, wah. And you walk away and you just go, man, they are exhausting. It's those people who are just physically just vexing on you. And if you don't have those people in your life, maybe you need to look in the mirror because maybe that is you. You're the, that person that's constantly complaining about relationships. 
Why do I have no friends? Why does nobody like me? Why does nobody want to spend time with me or be around me? And then you even further that with, oh, Satan is just attacking my relationships, and oh, the devil is just working in these places. And I just want to say, you know, I believe that Satan is constantly at work. I believe that Satan is constantly slithering his way through our relationships, trying to break them apart. But eventually, we have to come to a place where we stop giving Satan so much credit, and we just look at ourselves and go, man, I'm exhausting. Man, I just suck the life out of everyone around me. And I just need to just look at myself and just learn how to shut up. That might be you tonight. Maybe that's not how you've seen this vampire mentality in your life. Maybe you're a person, um, I think parents are people that constantly suffer from vampires, from kids just biting their fangs into their necks and spilling blood. Uh, I think sometimes we think God created parents to be slaves. I know I do. A lot of times I look at my parents and I just want to say, bow down, peasant. Um, And most of the time they do. They feed me, they clothe me, they do basically whatever I ask. And then for no reason, randomly, I just say things that just cut them deep. And I know it does. I just say these things that are just so harsh. I just dig my fangs and spill this blood. And maybe it's not for you a parent dialogue. Maybe it's not you between like a a child and a parent, but it's a friendship. And you're just one of those people that's like, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just telling them what's the truth. I'm just speaking the truth in love. And really, that person's looking at you going, no, you're just mean. No, you're just mean-spirited. You're just a jerk. You just dig your fangs into people and spill blood and act like it's not a big deal. Or maybe you've seen um, vampires in your life. Maybe it's you. You have a hard time celebrating other people's victories. Uh, Somebody gets the promotion that you thought you deserved. Somebody gets pregnant when you've been trying to have kids. Um, Somebody, this even happens in the ministry. Somebody gives their life to Christ, and when they do their testimonial video, they credit somebody else. And you just go around the church that Sunday saying, well, I planted the seed. They just got the flower. I mean, you just throw in your two cents. You just dig your fangs in and try to bloody up the situation so it doesn't look as good or as impressive because of your own insecurities. See, I think a lot of us suffer from this this idea of vampires. We just throw things out and we just say things and we just cause blood to be spilt everywhere. And just like the horror movies and just like the TV shows, what happens? The murderer attacks, he stabs or he shoots somebody and the blood is spilt. And then what is the second thing he does? Immediately he starts trying to clean it up and pour in the bleach. Pour in the bleach and trying to clean up this blood. And guys, we do that constantly in our lives. We, we suck the life out of people. We say things and we dig our fangs into people and we spill blood with our words. And then we try to cover it up. And what do we cover it up with? With lies, with excuses, with justifications. We say things like, well, that's not what I really meant, and you, you took that the wrong way, and, and we say all this stuff, and it's just lie after lie after lie, and eventually somebody finds you out, and it's like, yeah, that covered your lie up for a little bit, but I see the real you. Just like a crime scene, eventually a smart forensic detective finds the blood, and something that we have to understand is that we can't hide from God. We can't hide from God because God takes out his black light and he sees the spattered blood on us, on our face and on our shirts and on our bodies from where we've just dug our fangs into people, from where we've said words that don't have band-aids and don't have stitches for a broken heart or a wounded soul. And God sees that and he says, I see your past. I see the people you've hurt. I see the people that you have dug your fangs into. I see it all. You can't hide from me. You know, some of you guys might be sitting here thinking, wow, If God sees that in my life, if he sees my past, the people that I've hurt, how can I ever stand before God? How could God ever love me? And if that's you, if those are the things going through your head, I want you to know that those are lies from Satan. Because the person building a case against you isn't God. It's Satan. And and a matter of fact, the person who is standing as your defense attorney in God's courtroom is Jesus himself. So this is the way that plays out. 
Satan throws up all these images, all this evidence that says he's guilty, that says, let me show you how he's hurt this person and that person and how he's spilt blood here and done this. This is how ugly and broken his past is. And it's obvious and it's evident that you are guilty. And Jesus says, look at that blood. Look closer, God. And God looks at the blood and it doesn't see blood of man. He doesn't see our DNA, but he sees the blood of his son because Jesus died for us. And we need to stop trying to cover all of our mistakes up, all of our past up, everything with lies, with excuses and justifications, and realize that it's all covered with the blood of Jesus. That that's enough. That that's enough. You see, that courtroom scenario plays out that, that God does look at the image, and he sees the blood of Jesus, not our sins, not our past, not our mistakes. And he, sees, he says, you know what? I see Jesus, who is perfect. And so you stand justified, freed, forgiven, not guilty. That's how that plays out. Blood of Jesus is enough. It says it in Hebrews. You can read it. It'll be on the screen. It says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Jesus allows us to work and have a connection with God. His blood covers up that past. We need to stop lying and trying to cover things up with bleach. We need to stop being vampires who suck the life out of people and who dig in with our fangs. The second creature that I want to talk about are zombies. How many people in the room like the show The Walking Dead? Yeah? My brother got into that show. I'm not, I've never really watched it. But one thing I know about zombies is when I think about zombies, my initial image of them are just these creatures that have their hands out, just looking for something. And they're these dead beings that, that go from eating brains to eating brains to eating brains, never being satisfied. That's their sole purpose, their sole goal, is to eat brains. And I think so many times we can find ourselves like a zombie, just constantly being consumers, constantly seek, seeking out more, never being satisfied, our appetite never being fulfilled. It's the person who is taking shots, and it's like, dude, it's 7 a.m., and he's like, it's still flowing, I'm still going, turn up. It's the person who has a hard time managing relationships, being in a relationship with one person, and so he goes from one friendship to another friendship to another friendship, or he goes from one guy to another guy, or she goes from one guy to another guy to another guy, or it's a job, or it's a dog, or it's something. They constantly are trying to be fulfilled, seeking out things that don't last. Seeking out things that feel good for a moment, but never being satisfied. Maybe if that's you in the room tonight, if you're that person that's constantly seeking out something more, God is telling you, stop seeking it out. Just stop and let me be enough. There's this uh, story in Scripture in Lamentations, and Lamentations is a book of lamenting, so it's basically a book of this person complaining. Um, and one of the, the laments... It says this, basically, this guy saying, you know, my life is so broken and burdened. I don't understand. I'm so downcast. I'm so down and depressed. But it ends like this. It says, but the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait upon him. The Lord is my portion. What it means when something is your portion is that it is enough. And I think some of us need to just stop seeking things that aren't going to last Seeking things, going from the, the bottle to, to women, to things that can never satisfy this internal longing. And just stop and say, you know what, Jesus is enough. God is enough. Um, I think sometimes also for us, even with, when we're Christians, when God has breathed life into us, we still get caught up becoming the walking dead. Because we get caught in the day-to-day. 
we get caught going through the motions. We wake up, we go to our job, we, we go to dinner with our families, and then we go to bed. And it's like the same process every single day, never really feeling anything on the inside, never really having a purpose or being moved or fulfilled. And so if you're one of those people who fall into the category of the walking dead, here are three things that I want you guys to remember tonight. The first is this, we need to keep our worship alive. We kind of talked about this last week um, when we talked about the problem with our praise. Um, So many times we let our feelings and our emotions dictate whether we're going to worship. And the problem with that is when we don't feel like worshiping and we let our emotions tell us not to, we're disconnecting ourselves from the Father, the one thing that is life-giving. And so, of course, we're going to be walking around like zombies, dead on the inside, because we're cutting ourselves off from the one thing that gives us life, strength, and sustains us. A lot of times I, I hear people come into church, or I'll tell them about Thrive, and they're like, man, I can't worship at Thrive because their music's too loud, or, or I can't worship at Thrive because Chris sings everything in the key of C, and I sound good in the key of A, so I just can't, and I just want to just say, shut up. Just shut up. If you come into the house of God and you say that you're a Christian and you can't worship, the problem isn't the worship team. It's you. And some of you guys are going, man, I'm never coming back to Burlington Baptist Church. He was mean. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be honest. Worship is meant to be between you and the Father. We all have to make the choice to worship. It's up to us whether we let it die or whether we keep it alive. The second thing is we need to keep our bodies alive. This is another one of those awkward things to talk about in church, but it's a real fact Uh, One of the things that me and my parents constantly fight about, they're constantly on me, is for my sleep schedule and the way I eat. Um, I I don't go to bed at a good time, and I'm constantly just eating crappy junk food. But I think if we're all honest with ourselves, you can't really argue with the fact that body, mind, and soul all kind of tie into one. They all kind of tie into one, and they affect each other. And so what we're doing when we give 60% with our body and mind is we're putting a cap on what God can do through us spiritually. We're giving them 60% with our body and mind and saying, okay, God, work through me 60%. But God has 40% more that he wants to do in you, and he'll never be able to when we're only giving him 60%. And if we're under the belief that all things that we do are for the glory of the Lord and that our body is a temple, we have to revere it. We have to keep it holy. Uh, And it sucks, and it's hard. Uh, But maybe it's just having an accountability partner who's going to be honest with you, who you can go, all right, are the love handles back? And they can say, yeah, dude, they are. And you go run two miles, and it sucks. But afterwards, I've never heard somebody complain after they ran two miles and say, man, I really regret that. Or somebody who made a good decision when they were at a restaurant or decided to go to bed early to get some sleep say, man, I wish I would have not done that. No, because it makes you feel good because you know you're doing the right thing. You know you're doing what's right and what God wants for you to have a full life. We have to keep our bodies alive. And the third thing is we have to keep the body alive. And what I mean by the body is the church body. Now you might say, Blake, how do we keep the body alive? How do we keep the church alive? When I was at Campbellsville, there was this girl, she was a freshman, and she came to me, and she was really struggling. She was like, man, I'm just so depressed. I just feel like my life doesn't have purpose. Um, I've been trying all these churches, and they're just not doing it for me. I'm just not getting anything out of them. And so I said, well, have you ever volunteered? And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I had to volunteer to get into this school. And I was like, no, that's not what I mean. I said, have you ever volunteered in church? And she said, well, I've kind of always operated under the assumption that church is where I'm filled, so I just go and I'm filled there. And I said, well, are you a Christian? And she looked at me like, I'm paying $30,000 to go to a private Christian school. What do you think? She said, yeah. And uh, I said, okay, well, 
if you're a Christian, you're saying you are the church. She goes, well, yeah, I guess. I said, go volunteer in church. Go do something through church and then come back to me. And she didn't really seem happy with that answer, um, and she just kind of walked away. And about three weeks later, I get this text, and it just says, we need to talk in all capital letters. And I was freaking out. I was like, wow, she's pissed. I'm about to get chewed out. And so we meet up, and she goes, Blake, right after that day, I went to Big B, which is one of the churches in the area. And I said, what's, what's something in the area that you want to start a ministry in? And they really wanted a presence in a retirement home that was right down the street from the school. And she said, I went that day. <clears throat> she said, I went three more times that week. And now I'm going four times a week to the retirement home. And never have I felt more filled, never have I felt more joy, and never have I felt more connected to Jesus than right now. You see, I think a part of staying connected and keeping the church, the body, alive is remembering the master that we serve, remembering that Jesus didn't come to this earth to be served, but he came not with his hands up, what can you do for me, but with his palms down, what can I do for you? Because when we're giving, when we're giving back, when we're loving and we're showing our faith through loving people and sacrificing and serving people, we're representing the characteristics of Jesus. We're keeping the body, his church, alive. The next creature that I want to talk about are werewolves. Werewolves are the coolest animals in the world, creatures, whatever you want to call them. Um, Werewolves are typical people like you and me. And then something happens. Uh, There's a full moon, and they, they go from these normal human beings to these crazy animals that are bloodthirsty, that are beasts, that are completely opposite, that they lose all their inhibition. They lose everything, all sense of reason, and they can't even help it. And I think so many times, um, these are the people that I call the crowd pleasers. Um, In Bible times, these were the people that were fanning Jesus when he walked through the city initially with palm leaves saying, praise him, oh God, the Messiah. And then just a little while later saying, crucify him, crucify him. Now we have modern day werewolves and sometimes it's even ourself. We're on fire for Jesus. We have a mission. We want to go adopt kids in Africa. We want to go build a well. We want to do all this stuff for Jesus and then something whether it's a person, whether it's a bottle, whether it's a situation, I don't know what it is for you, but something is a full moon, and it changes your direction to something completely opposite, something completely different, and something totally not God-honoring. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's that one person who you you went to, uh, you were raised your whole life as a Christian, on fire for God, and then you go to a college, a liberal college, and it takes one professor saying, let me tell you about science and how God's not real, and you go, oh, okay, yeah, that's what I believe, God's not real. That's one full moon that just pulls you completely away. Maybe your full moon is loneliness. It's those quiet moments at night when you're sitting in your room all alone. And that person that you know God has called you to be is no longer that person in the room. And so you start turning to a bottle. You start turning to your computer screen. You start turning to your phone, texting people that you know you shouldn't be having a relationship with. I don't know. But my question to you tonight is you need to identify what is your full moon. What is that thing that's pulling you away from being the person that God has created you to be that you know that you were supposed to be? You know, I've found myself in situations before where I'm like, why am I doing this? I know what's right. I know who I'm supposed to be, but I'm still making stupid decisions. Why? Identify what your full moon is. But the heart of that, the second question that I have for you is, where's your direction coming from? Where's your direction coming from? Some of you guys might say parents. Some might say family, some might say pastors, and while all those answers are good, they're not the best. It's hard for me to say this as a pastor standing in the pulpit, but people can be wrong. 
And so the only thing that's perfect, that is 100% surefire, the only thing that can give you 100% accurate direction is God, is God the Father. It talks about it in Psalm 121. Let's read that together. It says this. It says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. Guys, there's a lot of stuff in life that are going to be full moons, that are going to try to to push you away from who you want to be in Jesus, from who you want to be as a human being. But God says if we keep our eyes on him, he will not allow our foot to be moved. I love that promise. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. And I love this next part because it's almost like David knew we were going to be preaching this message. He said, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night, nor the moon by night. He's saying no matter what full moon might come into your life, no matter what person might come into your life and try to to dissuade you, to pull you away from who I've created you to be, no matter what, if you keep your eyes fixed on me, you will not be shaken. That's something to get excited about. That's something to stand firm in and to trust. So if you're, you're struggling with becoming a werewolf with full moons in your life, identify what it is and change your direction. Change the person who you look to for direction and let it be Jesus. The next creature that I want to talk about um, is Frankensteins. It's the Frankensteins. Now, when I think about Frankenstein's monster, I think about this man who resembles a human, who resembles a man, but he's got one arm that's longer than the other. His leg's kind of funny. He's got bolts sticking out of his neck. Uh, Just this weird, odd creature that people have a hard time understanding. They get this image of a man, but it's not really a man, and so they're just kind of confused, and it's unappealing. You see, I think a lot of times we get caught up presenting Christianity, presenting who God is as this Frankenstein creature. Uh, We take biblical truth and what God has said, and then we say, you know what, I like that part of the Bible, so I'm going to let that be true, but the parts that we don't like, we cut off and we replace, and we sew on what we want that to look like. You know, we say, well, I want to drink, but I believe in God, so I'm going to cut off where it talks about not getting drunk, and I'm still going to get wasted on the weekend, but then I'm going to preach Jesus. And so we cut off that part and we replace it with something else. Or we say, I'm going to get divorced as many times as I want because God just, he wants me to be happy. And I'm still going to love him and serve him and he's going to honor that. And so we we cut off our leg, that biblical truth that God has an ideal for marriage. And we sew back on this, this thing that's ours, that's gangrene. And that ultimately causes us to die because people look at what we're presenting as Jesus, as what we're presenting as true and good, and they're just kind of confused. It's kind of unappealing to people because people don't like hypocrites. You know, Chris said this in the office, and I really loved it. He said, it's almost as if when we present the gospel to people, we're making chili but with jelly beans. You know, jelly beans are these sweet things that that we love, that taste good, but when you mix them into what is supposed to happen, what's supposed to be the right ingredients, you just get this syrupy, nasty, ugh thing. So much that's what we're trying to give people, this ugh, this Frankenstein faith that they don't want anything to do with. There was a guy in the Bible, and this guy, he had this Frankenstein faith. He had pieced together what he wanted Christianity to look like. And his name was Naaman. And if you want to read this story, you can go to 2 Kings when you get home and read it. It's a really good story, the full, the full story. But, but Naaman was this guy who suffered from leprosy. And leprosy is basically modern-day Ebola, okay? Um, when people suffered from leprosy in that time, they were outcasts, typically. Um, they were people that you just wanted to stay away from. Um, But the weird thing about Naaman was he was actually a really well-respected man. 
And um, Naaman suffered from leprosy, and he wanted to be healed. And so he had heard stories about this guy named Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha. And he knew that Elisha was his healer, that he could heal him from his leprosy. And so he goes out on this journey to meet up with Elisha. And uh, he, he travels a long way, and he finally comes into contact with him. But when he meets up with him, Elisha's kind of being a little shady. He's being a little weird. And Naaman doesn't like it. Um, Naaman's used to being respected, um, used to people desiring him in, in their presence. And Elijah's kind of just like, eh, it's whatever. He's here. And so Naaman's asking, you know, can you heal me from this leprosy? And Elijah goes, sure, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And Naaman kind of gets frustrated with that because Naaman was hoping that Elijah would put his hand on him and would just pray over him and immediately he would be healed. But it was almost like he just didn't even want him there. And so all the guys that were with Naaman convinced him, you know, just go to the Jordan, do what Elijah said. So he goes to the Jordan and he dips himself in the river seven times. And after that seventh time, it says that his skin was like it was on the day he was born. It was perfectly clean. He was healed. And so Naaman decided, you know what, I'm going to put our differences aside. I know he made me kind of angry, but I want to give him a gift because Elisha has healed me. And so he goes to take this gift to Elisha, and Elisha doesn't want it. Again, he kind of acts kind of weird. He's just like, man, I don't want your gift. And when we read in chapter 5, verse 18, we understand why Elisha's being so weird. It says this. It says, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow down there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Now that gets a little wordy and kind of confusing, so let me explain what that's saying in that passage. Basically what Naaman is saying is, when my master goes into the temple and he worships this false god, when he worships this guy, I also bow my knee, but God, please forgive me. And you see, Elijah knew that this was going on, and so he wanted nothing to do with Naaman. And so often we get caught in Naaman's shoes. We, we, we say we worship God, we say we worship the one true God, but then we ask for pardon, we ask for forgiveness when we bow our knee to the world. When we bow our knee to, to one part of this world, whether that be alcohol, whether that be uh, our language, the way we treat people, whether that be breaking ideals or things like that, we just bow constantly. We, we compromise our faith and who we are in Christ. And Elijah's saying, I'm not about that. I'm not about that. See, we need to stop presenting the gospel as this Frankenstein creation. If we want people to believe in a true, genuine, pure, holy, good God, then that's what we need to start presenting to people, not this made-up monster or creature. So as Chris and the band comes up, would you guys just bow your heads? I don't know what monster is living inside of you. Maybe it's different pieces of each one of these monsters. Maybe you've been a life sucker and you've struggled to have relationships your entire life because you're constantly blaming other people when in reality you're the one that's just exhausting. Maybe your words have cut deeper than any Band-Aid could, could heal. And maybe you felt unworthy. Would you lean into the truth tonight that God's blood has covered that? that he has redeemed you with his blood. Maybe you've been a person who has wandered around constantly trying to find something that would fulfill you, constantly trying to find something that would make you feel whole, that would make you feel like you had a purpose, that would make you feel some kind of life. Would you just stop reaching out, stop being a consumer, stop going from one thing to the next and just realize that the Lord is your portion. He's enough. 
If you struggled your whole life with this flip-flop faith, with hot one day and cold the next, with full moons that pull you away, would you see that full moon, that relationship, and get away from it? And would you look to the Father who plants your foot and take confidence in that and unashamedly say, God has done a good work in me. Yeah, I have changed. And guess what? I'm never going back. I will not be shaken. Maybe you've been a person who has presented the gospel in Jesus your entire life as this Frankenstein creation. It kind of resembles Christianity and it kind of resembles the outline of God, but at the heart of what you're presenting, it's broken, it's messy, it's ugly, and it's not full and it's not complete. Would you surrender those parts of your life that are of you and not of God? See, what happens is when we, when we cut off limbs and then sew something back on, that feeling goes away. And so we become numb to the Holy Spirit and thus we become ineffective to ever present the gospel. Would you surrender that tonight to God? Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for tonight. I want to thank you for each person right now in this room. God, I want to thank you that while we have all of these these monsters living inside of us, while we can do all these things that are so wrong and so broken, God, you still redeem us. You still love us. You still died for us. And when all the evidence is stacked against us, you say, God, no, look deeper. Look at my blood. Look at me. And you let us stand justified and free and forgiven. So God, tonight I just ask that you would convict our hearts. I ask that you would fill us with your spirit and your presence. And God, I just ask that we would respond. That if we are the mummy mentality who have constantly been seeking out something more tonight, maybe for the first time when we surrender to a God who is fulfilling, who is enough. God, I just, I lay down all of my problems, all of my my inklings to be these monsters, I just lay it at your feet. And Lord, I just ask that you would constantly mold me to make me look more like you. All of us, as a body, as a church. Would you keep us alive? Would you keep us sustained? God, just thank you for your presence, and your holiness, and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. So as you guys stand and sing this next song, um, just respond in whatever way God might be calling you. You can take from the communion. We've only got it on this side tonight. Representative of the body and the bread of Jesus. And the blood poured out to save you and me. You can give back with your offering of what God's already blessed you with. But maybe during this time, you just need to come down here and pray at the altar and surrender all these things that are inside of you all these ugly parts of you that, that make you more inclined to, to be a mean person or, or to wander or to want more and just say, you know what, I'm laying everything down at your feet tonight. God, you are enough. Would you do that tonight? Do it unashamedly. God does so much for us every single day. He humbled himself enough to hang on a cross for us. We can humble ourselves enough for one moment to say, you know what, God, I need you. That if you need to do that tonight. And if you have never accepted Jesus into your life, you've always been longing and searching for something more, would you do that tonight? You can come and pray about that. Come and 
just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I've sinned, I've stumbled. I've, I've been looking for something my whole life to be satisfied, to be filled, and I never found it, but I know I can find it in you. You can do that tonight. If that's you, you know, you can do that from your seat. You can come forward and talk to me about it. Whatever it is, just respond. Just respond to however God's calling you tonight.